Hello everyone and welcome to the fifth episode of the I Like Boxing podcast with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always by the legend Joel Hillier. Today is the penultimate episode, Joel. How are you feeling about that? I'm wondering how we got this far, actually, Joe. Yeah, yeah, we've done quite well, mate. done well. Yeah, yeah. How are you? Yeah, I'm all good, thanks, mate. Excited to be here, as usual. Well, I'll say say I'm good. Yeah. But actually, I'm a little bit achy today. Why's that? You go for a jog or something? No, no, I was playing a little bit of football. Ended up in a penalty shootout and it went on forever, mate. Oh, right. Is it a Sunday league thing or...? No, 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 no. Far more serious than that. No, family pride was at stake. Right. (laughs) Got a couple of uh, upstart nephews who need keeping in their place. Aren't they seven and eight years old, Joel? Were you you actually trying to, like, beat them? (laughs) Uh, Six and eight. uh, Okay. Yeah, of course. Oh, that makes a difference. Well, it does. (laughs) And of course I was trying to win. It's no good letting them win things, is it? What does that teach them? Confidence? No, no, but Wayne Rooney said that... Joel, I'm not sure you should be taking childcare advice from Wayne Rooney, for God's sake. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> anyway, look, it was me versus M2. It right. finished 18 all, right? Yeah. So we went to penalties. Problem was the oldest one. He's a bit of a goalkeeping phenom. Ah, uh, okay. He, he can get a hand to anything. So I realised that to rely on my natural size and strength advantages and hit straight through the target. Natural strength advantages? Are you yeah, yeah. Serious, yeah, mate. Of course, I'm being serious. <laughs> no, I am. Fucking, don't get all jealous. Of <laughs> anyway, so mate, I was knocking a lad straight into the back of the net, man. You must be very proud of yourself. Well, not really. I mean, it wasn't all plain sailing because it because it was two versus one. I was in goal for my side. Your side being you. Yeah. Right. But keeping ain't exactly my forte. So them two were sticking it past me, left, right, and centre, man. Even pulling out the old penenkas, the cheeky little buggers. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we got to eighteen, eighteen. Can you believe oh, that? Wow. Yeah, but the boys getting a hand, face, a shoulder, foot, whatever it was to all 18. But I still got on past it, mate. Sort of like 18 KOs, you know what I mean? Ah, I see where you're going with yeah. this. Isn't that a bit like... Yeah, the troubled knockout phenom, Edwin Valero. And that brings us nicely onto the title of this week's episode, which is about Edwin Valero, a unique individual, to say the least, or to put it mildly. For those who don't know, although many hardcore boxing fans will, Edwin Valero was a fearsome fighting machine, a mini Mike Tyson of sorts of the lower weight divisions. On the 25th of February 2006, Edwin Valero, at that time just 24 years of age, set a new world record by winning his first 18 fights hence Joel's 18 penalties, as a professional by first round knockout, breaking Arthur Suskin's historic record set in 1905. 18 consecutive first round knockouts. That was a decent level of opposition as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was good. This record, to be fair, has been broken since by a fighter called Tyrone Brunson, although most boxing experts recognise that Valero's knockout streak was racked up versus a far higher calibre of opponent. Unfortunately, Edwin Valero was also someone who suffered from mental health issues as well as drink and drug addiction, culminating in him very sadly murdering his 24-year-old wife, Jennifer, in April 2010 and then committing suicide in prison two days later by hanging himself at the age of 28. So Edwin Valero's life is one marked by tragedy and is very much a case of what could have been. So let's start with some facts before we get on to the juicier bits of this episode. Edwin Valero was born on the 3rd of December 1981 in the tiny village of Valero Alto in Merida, Venezuela. So as a young kid, Edwin Valero started training at a boxing gym in El Vigia 
owned by Venezuela's first Olympic gold winning medal boxer Francisco Rodriguez who won gold at the Mexico Games in 1986 in the light flyweight division. So bearing this in mind perhaps Edwin was destined in some way to be a top Venezuelan boxer from a very young age. Edwin, Joel can you believe this was jailed around a dozen times before before the age of 15 Incredible for petty crime but was constantly bailed out by his trainer, Oscar Ortega. At 15 years of age, I was a mummy's boy who wasn't even allowed to go out drinking. I'm sure the same thing applies to you, Joel. Of course, of (laughs) course, yeah. Well, for all those times he was bailed out, he never spent longer than a week in prison, didn't he? In essence, his athletic achievements enabled him to be sprung out each time quite quickly, it seems. Yep, it was obvious that his talent got him out of jail. Certainly not his... uh, connections as a sort of higher up in Venezuela Mm. and certainly not his personality either well that works only for some people (laughs) you (laughs) of course not Um, Edwin Valero had an excellent amateur career winning 86 bouts losing only six of them he won three consecutive national amateur championships although he failed to qualify for the 2000 Sydney Olympics he did however win the 2000 Central American and Caribbean championships in Caracas beating a fighter called Francisco Boyado or Boja- Bojado. Bojado. Bojado, yeah. who went on to represent Mexico in the Olympics that year. Mm. You've got an interesting story about uh, Francisco Bojado. Yeah, well, Bojado was a mega prospect at the time. He was seen as the crown jewel of the Olympians coming out of the 2000 Sydney Games from the Americas anyway. Right. And he signed a massive deal with Main Events, who absolutely blew their load on him, mate. Okay. <laughs> so, he, yeah, he never lived up to expectations, despite having a really stellar amateur career, of course. And he was actually defeated in the second round of the Sydney Olympics, in fact, before he even turned pro. Bit of a damp squib, by the sounds of things. Mm, I didn't it know was, that. It was an expensive one. Yeah. Yes. Good stuff, Joel. But, yeah, Edwin travelled to Argentina to qualify for the Sydney Olympics, in fact, but lost on points to Brazil's Valdemar Pereira. He was awarded a silver medal. Um, after that, he got the wrong bus home from Caracas Airport, You've apparently. done that a few times, haven't you? Oh, we all have. <laughs> has him, Joe. He found himself in an unfamiliar neighbourhood right. and was robbed. That's happened to you a couple of times, it right? Has, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so, according to Edwin, they took everything. My passport, my money, my silver medal. I cried for two weeks. Imagine that you win a silver medal and you lose it like a week later oh, no, it's awful. even for someone as hardened as Edwin Valero was that must have been quite traumatic yeah it must have been it seems to be a bit of a recurring theme actually when you read about his early life and the trouble always seems to be around the corner even when he wasn't looking for it but Venezuela was and is an incredibly poverty strewn country I think having carried out the research shoulder Edwin Valero was I think it's fair to say a bit of a street kid and that his upbringing on the streets of Venezuela probably haunted him for most of his life what do you think it was really rather tough wasn't it to be uh, brutally honest yeah for, as an understatement his his parents separated when he was seven right and he was barely in school by the age of nine he had to work right and his mother didn't have enough money right therefore he was working by the age of 13 he'd fully dropped out of school and he took up taekwondo but mate he couldn't even afford to carry on the lessons right he could only play marbles apparently and oh, yeah. that's the tale that's the story wow um, and Edwin said that as a child he didn't have time to play yeah I mean that is quite tragic isn't it it's it's fair to say Edwin didn't have a childhood at all really yeah no it does sound like that so there's a quote from his mother which I found in which she said from the age of nine 
Edwin was always getting into fights at school and in the streets. Now get this, some of his friends in the gym were really bad. They robbed and killed people. Yeah. Mate, this is a nine-year-old's friends we're talking about. Oh yeah, crazy. So he also said, all my friends back then were killed by the police or by their enemies. In that world, you dealt drugs, stole or worked as a hitman. Boxing is what saved me. I trained hard and never once used drugs or even smoked a cigarette. Which is, again, quite odd considering what's to come. Yeah. He also said, get this right that he was the only survivor of 30 threat friends so his group of 30 friends yeah that's, that's he was the last man standing mad. yeah i'm also amazed that of the things he said that you would do in that world dealing drugs stealing fair enough or working as a hitman that seems I to elevate that. the <laughs> sort of shady Went activities notch, yeah it? exactly <laughs> you're really badass you get to be a hitman yeah, yeah but it's funny well, he didn't have the moniker did he moniker of hitman but he probably felt no that really needs to be reserved for the real thing yeah you know exactly I mean? <laughs> it's unreal to hear that to be honest with you Joel it is another interesting thing there is that Edwin Valero says he never did drugs as a kid but as we know especially towards the end of his career he was a heavy heavy drink and drug user and despite the fact that he never did them as a kid, I suspect that he was surrounded by those sort of influences. It certainly played a part in his, you know, drug addiction as he got older. Those influences never seem to go away, to be honest, and they Ab- certainly come back to haunt you. Absolutely. I mean, we're all captive to our childhood in some way, aren't we? Yeah, couldn't agree more. And this can have really negative effects on you as an adult, as we shall see with Edwin Valero as we continue. It's actually something I encounter frequently when I, this is a bit of an aside, but when I used to act on behalf of parents in care proceedings mm. when I was a solicitor, you just see parents who've grown up in such hardship and you know really dreadful upbringings and it affects their ability to sort of you know parent or just to live a normal life of Um, course of course i mean you can only pass on what you've you know what your knowledge is and what you've experienced don't you absolutely Uh, but it's a funny thing though because with boxing these sort and with fight sports in general in general i'd say yeah that these sorts of upbringings can be used to your advantage yeah i agree we've seen countless times that early hardship actually gives boxers the hunger and drive to succeed yeah so his childhood actually reminds me a little bit of Manny Pacquiao okay. in terms of a broken home, living in abject poverty, having to work on the streets from a young age and neglecting his education and the way that boxing was his haven and before boxing it was taekwondo. Yeah. I also wonder if Edwin had a dog too. Right, on the 5th of February 2001, Edwin Valero was in a motorcycle accident when he was just 19 years old, which would actually turn out to be a really pivotal incident in his life and his boxing career, which is why I'm mentioning it now. Mr. Caulfield does not waste his words. He doesn't, no. Edwin wasn't wearing a helmet, which is extremely silly if you ask me. And me. Yep. And Edwin spent 13 days in hospital at the time and doctors found a small blood clot between his scalp and his skull. Luckily, not in his brain which one assumes would have been far worse for him. Edwin was told at the time he could wait six months to see if the clot would clear on its own or they could operate and remove it now. Edwin opted for its removal as it was not considered major surgery and he could resume his boxing career sooner. Later the following year in 2002, Mr Valero was dishonorably discharged from the Venezuelan army for fighting. Can you believe that, Joel? I guess I can, yeah. But I also imagine that whoever he was fighting with got discharged for taking a beating. (laughs) Yes, that's not a wise person to fight, not at all. The reason I mentioned the motorcycle incident is because he actually 
joined the army just after the aforementioned surgery following his accident um, and as he couldn't fight for a period of time he, he needed to make money especially as he had just become a father all by the age of 20 so hopefully this gives you all a bit of background on Edwin Valero before we touch on his pro career and his legend in the gym as I've said he's a unique individual and a bit of a monster to be honest he was as we shall see an awesome puncher mm. a relentless pressure fighter but sadly again as I've mentioned earlier his family paid the heaviest of prices for his demons outside of the ring and we have to acknowledge this clearly I believe Joe anyway because he wasn't a nice person no. and obviously his family did not deserve to suffer because of his problems of course not I mean as Edwin himself once said there is something inside me that I have to unleash on someone perhaps it's anger hatred I feel at having been denied a childhood I fear no one I like to hit men it liberates me wow I mean that's just grim to say it? something like that well in public as well you know yeah. maybe to your therapist you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway Joe what liberates you in life definitely not hitting people <laughs> Uh, unless it was you possibly oh, you're just waiting for it <laughs> you're just waiting for the chance now let's take a look at the professional career of Edwin Valero Edwin turned pro in 2002 and he won his first 12 fights by first round knockout he was signed by Oscar De La Hoya's Golden Boy Promotions in 2003 just after this and yeah, why not yeah well the reason he was signed by Golden Boy actually was that he was invited to LA to spar by Joel De La Hoya who is Oscar's dad right so he recommended Edwin to Oscar Okay, so Golden Boy obviously saw massive potential in him and the plan was to bring him to New York to fight Francesco Lorenzo as he hadn't fought in the US uh, up until that point. However, in January 2004, Edwin failed a pre-fight physical as a consequence of the injury sustained from the motorcycle accident when he was 19 years old. The physical revealed a blemish on his brain, meaning he was denied his New York boxing license and given an indefinite medical suspension. Edwin obviously tried to plead his case and explain the accident, but the concern from the commission was that an MRI scan could still detect the brain injury suffered years prior. Yeah, we can't understate the effect this had on his career. Yeah. Uh, both the opportunities he could receive at that point and, of course, the money he could make. Yeah. Because he was marked as not fit, not fit to fight by the New York State Athletic Commission, which is one of the most respected athletic commissions in the US. Yeah. Most states adhere to any rulings they make. Right. So generally other states go with their verdicts. Obviously, it's not... It's not watertight. What I've just said there, and it, you know, this is a real problem. We've discussed it before with boxing. Yeah. But anyway, after the New York ruling, Edwin had an 18-month layoff and was signed by. Tokyo-based Japanese promoter Akihiko Honda. He's one of the big Japanese promoters. Okay. Uh, he'd been released by Golden Boy in September 2005. Yeah. And his fights still immediately after this tend to be in either South America or Japan. Right. So interestingly as well, in March 2006, in his 19th fight, he was taken into the second round for the first time by Gennaro Trezancos. Right. Which was likely some sort of eliminator because his next fight was against Vicente Mosquera for the WA Super Featherweight title. And in his 20th fight, as Joel just said, Edwin took on the Panamanian Vicente Mosquera, who is making the first defence of his title in Panama in front of a raucous home crowd. Boy, was that raucous. And I would urge our viewers to watch this fight. It's a cracking fight. In the first round, Edwin put Mosquera down twice. So it's looking like it could be business as usual. Mosquera survived and began to rally. And then he put Edwin down in the third round. And as Joel said when we discussed this after we watched the fight, Edwin did look quite shaky when he got up. Oh, very. This wasn't a flash knockdown. No. What is noticeable about this round, but even the earlier rounds, is that 
Edwin gets tagged really easily. I, I just thought he was so easy to, to hit in that fight. Mm. And even in the first round, he got hit with a beautiful right hand, which genuinely, in my opinion, would have put plenty of fighters down. He recovered quickly from the third round knockdown and eventually stopped Mascara in 10 rounds. This was the first Valero fight I ever watched, actually. And interestingly, I thought Edwin was fairly subpar in that fight. It wasn't a great performance. He was wild, wide open. He was knocked down, as we just mentioned, in the third round. And he looked stunned. Mm. I thought he was just too easy to hit in that fight. And for me, especially technically, he didn't look good at all. There was very little head movement or slipping of punches. He just was winning wild punches no I remember this fight from the time and there had been a lot of hype about Valero heading to the US and fighting you know he was really known he'd been in the sort of gossip pages the trade papers and I was a bit disappointed when I saw him because I just thought you know you can see what he had he had amazing yeah and he had amazing fitness and you thought well this guy is going to be entertaining to watch yeah but you didn't think he could get to the top level yeah you know when anyway but he was in this fight against Mosquera, he was fighting in Panama against yeah. a Panamanian boxer. And as we've mentioned, the crowd was unbelievably hostile. Yeah. Uh, honestly, the place was an absolute bear pit. Yeah. And when Edwin went down in that third round, you mentioned, yeah. and you mentioned a minute ago, the place just erupted. I mean, you don't see, see many reactions like that in boxing these days. It was days. absolutely incredible. It was awesome. It was, it was, it was great, great actually to, to see that because, like you say, you don't see that very often. Nice. It was like a last minute winner for Arsenal against Tottenham, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> only, both only, only worse. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Um, I rewatched that fight, and after Edwin went down in round three, you can see drinks going up in the air as the crowd celebrate. Yeah, Rockers. absolutely. Yeah. Let, let's have a look back at the time, right? So Edwin's just had 18 consecutive first-round knockouts, and prior to fighting Mosquera, he was taken into the second round for the first time in his career. Yeah. Then in this fight, he knocks down the guy twice in the first round. Looks like it's going to be another quick stoppage, yet Mosquera starts throwing punches back, and then Valera gets knocked down in round three, yeah. which is the first time he's gone into round three. In his professional career yeah right for a puncher yeah despite what i've just said this is a nightmare scenario where you go down damn i've just been hit i've just hit him with my best in the first round yeah now i'm down in the third round and there's potentially nine more rounds of this yeah that is a gut check seriously passed in my opinion and so many fighters who are meant to be the next big thing often get found out when they step up in opposition edwin didn't he kind of got that gut check and that thing that he won the fight with it. Exactly. That's rare. Kind of like Anthony Joshua against Dillian White. Yes. Yeah, where he gets hurt and all of that early, but then he actually survived that. Yeah. That was his test, and he won the fight. That's invaluable, that. No top-level fighter is going to go throughout their career without facing some sort of adversity. And like you say, it's the fighters who can get through that. Didn't Teddy Atlas say that he... This is an aside again, but when he was he was talking about Mike Tyson, and he said that as far as he was concerned, Mike Tyson's record yeah. was something like zero and five. Yeah, I mean, it was and those were five, the five fights when the only five fights when he encountered adversity, he couldn't cope with it, and he lost. Yeah, that was a bit hyperbolic by Teddy, but I can absolutely understand what he means by that. Teddy and hyperbolic, Joel, <laughs> kidding me, aren't you? <laughs> Look, the guy's the king. I say nothing. No, I do like him. Teddy Atlas. He's a legend. Top bloke, yeah. amazing. Guy. Incredible book as well, by yeah, the way. Really love to read that. <laughs> Don't hurt me. Anyway, immediately following this fight, Edwin defended the WBA Super Featherweight title four times before stepping up a weight class to fight for the vacant WBC lightweight title against heavy-handed Colombian veteran 
Antonia Pichalua on the 4th of April 2009. What is noteworthy about this fight is that this is Edwin's first fight back in the US since his 12th fight, shortly before his license was indefinitely suspended by the New York State Athletic Commission, and it came just two months after he had signed with top rank. Now, what happened here is that a court ruling had recently gone in favour of a fighter who had challenged an indefinite medical suspension, and the nuts and bolts of it was that it basically forced New York officials to recognise that a boxer who was licensed in the state could not be suspended so just to put in here we think that this was Joe Messi don't we yeah I, I couldn't because find the there was definitely nothing on the web that said it was this fighter yeah and I really I mean I did search sure so Joe Messi for those who don't, don't know about Joe Messi was a New York heavyweight who was coming up in the early 2000s and he fought Monty Barrett and actually had one of these gut checks that most people kind of thought he lost the fight I think it was after that fight he then failed a brain scan and he was sort of being groomed as the next challenger to the Klitschko's Ah, okay. At the time, Interesting, and, yeah. And, uh, so it's a big thing. Right, okay. So in February 2008, Edwin Valero went to Texas and passed their state requirements for a boxing license. And voila, Mr. Valero is back in big time boxing where he belonged fighting in the US. Yeah, I think a plan from Bob Arum. The Bob Father. Yes, Joe, the Bob Father. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the plan was that Edwin would fight Manny Pacquiao in the Dallas Cowboys stadium. Right. So at the time, Bob had a relationship with the Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones. Yeah. The American football team had recently moved into their spanking new state-of-the-art $1.3 billion stadium. Right. And we're looking for major events to stage there. Okay. Anyway, for me, the Pichalua fight is the only fight where Edwin truly shows his sparring form, which we'll get into in a little bit. Yeah. Which, it, this performance was flawed. actually it was over two rounds I tell you what you check this out you won't see many better two rounds from any fighter out there I'd highly recommend that all of our viewers watch this really is the fight which I think encapsulates the best of Edwin Valero as a fighter and shows off just what could have been yeah definitely watching this fight I mean what I find generally quite interesting about Edwin Valero is that he just looks so menacing he was with good reason he has really high cheekbones I mean he just looks like someone you wouldn't want to bump into in a dark alley (laughs) His look is so distinctive and he looks, and I don't mean this really in a disparaging way, but he does look like a wild dog. He looks wild. No, he does. Well, I think he sort of looks like he wears his life on his face. Do you get what I mean? Now, after successfully defending his WBC lightweight title against Hector Valazquez in December 2009, Edwin's next and unfortunately, as it turns out, last fight was on the 6th of February 2010 against Antonio DeMarco. Right. Where DeMarco retired on his stall at the end of the ninth round okay the fight wasn't actually without some problems for Edwin as he was caught by an overhand sort of MMA style left um, elbow in the second round I think it was which opened up a huge gash over his eye luckily a fair bit above his left eye actually but it was ugly nonetheless yeah yeah the referee called it an accidental foul which is astonishing because an accidental foul is only a one-point deduction so at this time yeah with the WBC's rules a purposeful foul was a two-point deduction so that's a big thing in boxing yeah uh, Valero's reaction was simply to just plant his feet <laughs> and give DeMarco a horrific beating yes how dare you elbow me <laughs> the batter you know yeah but he was wild and he was caught by a lovely left hand towards the end of the second round which knocked his mouthpiece clean out oh yeah I remember that now it went flying didn't it yeah yeah However, other than the second round, I thought Edwin won every round. Another really interesting thing about this fight is that the WBC had their open scoring in effect at the time, which means they published the scores after the fourth 
and eighth round. These were announced over a loudspeaker during the fight. I really don't like that rule. But oh right, why is that? I don't know. It just sort of doesn't that sort of mean there's more transparency a little bit? Oh, okay. Yeah, well that's the idea. But corrupt judges or incompetent judges are still corrupt or incompetent. Yeah, you know, yeah. it doesn't make a difference in that sense. Okay, fair mm. enough. Mm. I watched the fight and thought it should have been stopped sooner to be really honest with you DeMarco took an absolute beating as you say yeah between the 8th and the ninth rounds it's really unbelievable that his corner allowed him to continue yeah it looked like he was about to pass out for God's sake yeah. his body language is screaming I've had enough of this fight I'm taking a beating I don't want to be in it yeah it really was it's cruel to let a fighter go on in a situation like this in the 8th Vilevo started hammering him to the body so he, he'll bring it you know his hands would drop and then he, he was just throwing a lot of lead left hooks to the body yeah it was painful to see mate yeah I I think given the cut, it was a good performance against really average opposition, it has to be said. DeMarco was a very tall, gangly fighter. Actually, it was really noticeable, the height difference. Yet, Edwin Valero wasn't really troubled by potential range issues because I know something that was really obvious to me researching him was that he was an absolute master of range himself. Absolutely. And did he really have any difficulties in that fight? I don't think so. I thought it was a solid, good performance. Not bad, you know, it was, it was good. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think this fight is looked at a little bit strangely by some people is a really tough fight for Valera no chance it It won't I don't really understand it but yeah an interesting stat from the DeMarco fight is that DeMarco was this up and coming sort of young fighter yeah and although they both had a similar number of fights right get this DeMarco had fought double the amount of rounds of Valero (laughs) so it's astonishing really when you consider the soft touches DeMarco would have got up until say his 20th fight highlighting the difference in class shall Mm. we say Sadly, the DeMarco fight was Edwin's last fight, as Joel touched upon, and he ended his career with a perfect record of 27 fights, 27 wins, and all 27 wins coming by way of knockout. One thing, Joel, that we've discussed a fair bit, having looked back on his career, is who would have won had a long-rumoured Edwin Valero and Manny Pacquiao fight taken place. What are your views on this? Okay. So I think what we need to do is bring a little bit of context to the discussion, right, as to who would have won had Valero fought Manny Pacquiao. Right. Now, listeners and Joe, I'll say buckle up here. Yeah. I'm taking you on a little bit of a ride, okay? (laughs) So this fight is probably feasible between August 2006, when Valero won his first world title, against Mosquera and a couple of years after Edwin's last fight in say in 2010 so let's just go through to 2013 okay yeah so let's look at Manny Pacquiao's run from 2006 to 2013 so that we can assess who would have won between Manny and Edwin Valero so Manny Pacquiao won in July 2006 by unanimous decision against Oscar Larios now Larios is a sort of off forgotten fighter and for a time in the early 2000s he was actually thought of as the number one pound for pound fighter in the world I think it was Boxing News or Boxing Monthly that ranked him as such at the time that's interesting yeah, and he was ranked in high in everyone's pound for pound list. He okay. was an outstanding fighter. By now, he was probably slightly past his best. Okay. For me, this is actually one of Manny's signature victories, right. and yet nobody talks about it. Okay. okay. So Pacquiao completely outclasses Larios, and he wins this one on points. Okay. Then in November 2006, Pacquiao knocks out Eric Morales in three rounds in their third fight. Yeah. 
So for me, again, this was kind of like his first bout with Barrera in that I remember watching this and thinking, wow, this is something I have never seen before. Yeah. Like, this is just a force of nature coming through here. Exactly, yeah. Then in April 2007, Pacquiao fights Jorge Solis yeah. and knocks him out in the eighth round. Again, a very good opponent. Then in October 2007, he fights Barrera in their rematch and he won on points over 12 rounds. Yeah. Now, funnily enough, this actually wasn't one of Pacquiao's best performances at all. Okay. Okay. But he just quite easily beat a first ballot Hall of Famer in Marco Antonio Barrera. Yeah, right? yeah. Then in March 2008, it was the third Marquez fight. Again, Pacquiao wins on points. This was a really close fight against an all-time great. I think at the time I had it a draw for what that's worth. Okay. Juan Manuel Marquez was actually one of my favourite fighters ever. I thought he was such a great fighter. Outstanding combination. Oh, so clean, wasn't he? And he was in some truly great fights over his career. Like some of the best fights you you could see. Uh, Michael Katsidis, for example. Joel Casamayor. The first Juan Diaz fight as well. Brilliant fights. And these were elite level fighters that uh, Manny Pacquiao was beating during this run as you've touched on Joel yeah not only were they elite and he was beating them but he was actually trouncing them most of the time so but yeah his next fight now this is the fight that I would say starts the mark of Manny Pacquiao's all time great run he's just had an an amazing run all time great run (laughs) by any any fighter's sort of uh, standard that that is like a a great great run but now against David Diaz in June 2008 this is when we go this is when Manny Pacquiao is on fire and for me is possibly one of the very very greatest fighters at any weight probably in any sport in anything one of the greatest athletes ever he just goes into this incredible run so in this fight June 2008 David Diaz took a horrific beating and this one is tough to watch yeah I mean his face was an absolute bloody puffy mess I think his, Mm. his face seemed to grow to twice its size it was actually it was really not pleasant at all to look at and I'm sure he said to his corner actually after one of the rounds it was probably maybe the 6th or the 7th round that his punches are just too fast yeah, it's like, the shock, to too, like yeah I, there's nothing I can do basically mm. I thought Manny Pacquiao was absolutely sensational in that fight you do realise you're truly watching greatness absolutely no well said um, so next up is Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah. Now this is the one that really burst him onto the global scene. Yeah. So he won. It's amazing that that was the fight that burst him onto the global because yeah. I thought he was an absolute star anyway. Beforehand. But yeah. Completely. But this, this is when he kind of goes into the mainstream, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, this is exactly. when he goes from being an elite level boxer to an elite level athlete. Yeah. Yeah. So this was in December 2008 and after that, immediately following the Oscar De La Hoya fight yeah. was the second round knockout of Ricky Hatton in May 2009. Ouch. Now this is one of the great knockouts yeah. up there with Tommy Hearns' KO of Roberto Duran, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, just a, a scary, incredible oh, scary. knockout. Brilliant. Then Pacquiao takes on Miguel Cotto in November 2009. Another average fighter. Good <laughs> I mean, this is ironic. It's like Bob Arum was just sort of psychopathic here with the way he was match- matching Pacquiao, but actually yeah. just had full confidence yeah. that this guy was just going to do it. You yeah. know, This is a fight where I felt incredibly sorry for Miguel Cotto. He took such a horrific beating in this one, and the referee, right, he lets it go on when it should have been stopped <laughs> sooner. Yeah. Okay, it could have been stopped in like the third, fourth, whatever, right away through pretty much every round through yeah. to the 12th round. Yeah. And there were about 30 seconds left of the 12th round he just stops it 
when Cotto is in no more trouble than he has been for the previous 11 rounds, yeah. I mean, it must be one of, for me, one of the very worst stoppages Strange, of Strange, isn't it? Yeah. Terrible yeah. stuff. Then Pacquiao faced Joshua Clotty in March 2010. Yeah. Again, this is another overlooked performance. Clotty was the sort of bogeyman of the welterweight division at the time. No one wanted to fight him. A really tough Ghanaian fighter. Very underrated. Pacquiao won in 12 rounds and he just had his way with him. Yeah. Then there is the... Antonio Margarito fight which yeah. is in my opinion the last fight of his all time great run right. this is at like middleweight and Pacquiao <laughs> really shouldn't have been fighting at that weight right, I'm not so. actually sure he ever fought that weight again I'm, I, I, can't, I don't want to be held to that but I'm Fine. pretty sure he wasn't Margarito was massive as well yeah, he, massive at that he certainly shouldn't have been fighting an absolutely ginormous yeah. light middleweight like Margarito yeah. I thought that was an odd bit of matchmaking to be honest and shows what a warrior Manny Pacquiao was the fact that he would even fight Margarito Manny Pacquiao, I think, was badly hurt in this fight, especially by the body punches against the ropes. I thought he still looked awesome in this fight, though. Yeah, he did. (laughs) It's it's interesting you say you thought he was badly hurt. I'm not sure I noticed that myself, but um, Margarito's face was just an absolute bloody mess by the end of the fight, similar to David Diaz. It was, but it was this fight where I think that Pacquiao then left his prime in the ring that night. Okay. And and it's interesting because of what the standard of his career after this fight, I could see a lot of people just saying, well, don't be so utterly ludicrous to me. But I really do think that if you look at his performance up until his performances up until that fight and then compare him afterwards there's a marked dip for me yeah yeah Uh, anyway after this fight Pacquiao fought Shane Mosley in May 2011 and I think Mosley was actually asking his corner to stop it at some point in this fight it did go the 12 rounds yeah then Pacquiao has his third fight with Juan Manuel Marquez in November 2011 yeah before he then loses to Timothy Bradley via split decision that was controversial this wasn't really it was controversial no it's really controversial and it was a really close fight I must be one of the very few people out there who doesn't think this is an outright robbery yeah I, I know most people do but anyway again <laughs> what does my opinion mean but anyway you're a boxing scholar Joel stop uh, it as I keep saying <laughs> <laughs> then in December 2012 yeah Pacquiao suffered a knockout loss to Juan Manuel Marquez in their fourth fight, where I actually thought it was one of Pacquiao's best performances prior to the knockout. Yeah, no, I agree. He Odd was one, dominating the fight. Yeah. I thought Marquez was in a lot of trouble. In well, danger it, of, it looked like he could be get stopped. Yeah, yeah, and it was the only fight in the four fights with Marquez yeah. where I thought he was clearly out... I don't know whether to say outclassing Marquez. Maybe it was outclassing him for that first few rounds. Yeah, and, yeah. But it was the first time in those fights other than the first the first round, round of the first, of the first fight, fight <laughs> that you could say that he was well on top. Do you know what? That's such a sliding doors moment as well, that first fight. Yeah. Because can you imagine the trajectory of Mar- um, Marquez's career if he'd actually lost that in the first round? Yeah. You know, his, I, I, I doubt he goes on the, the sort of run that he did as well. But yeah, and it, there was the, the free knockdown so, rule wasn't in effect in, in that fight. No, you know? no, so he kind of got lucky there, Pacquiao. He did, yeah. So anyway, the reason I brought up all of these Pacquiao fights yeah. is that this Why? is the run. <laughs> right? Because I really love, love this him. run. I love him so much. <laughs> no, well, the reason is, is yeah. as I mentioned earlier, we're trying to assess here, could Edwin Valero have beaten Manny Pacquiao had they fought during this run? Because this is when the fight was feasible. Yeah. Now, in my opinion, yeah. Manny Pacquiao, as I've just said, really, has just put possibly the best run of any boxer in history from the Diaz fight to the Margarito fight. Now, if you take into account the opposition and the results... 
and the performances within that run, no fighter arguably run around against him. Yeah. And he outclassed every fighter to such a degree that it was almost embarrassing. And he did not have a single soft touch during this run. No, no, I totally agree with you on that. So for context, you've given us Manny Pacquiao's all-time great run. And I guess the next question is, who would have won in a mega fight between Pacquiao and Valero? I have to be honest, I think I know what your answer might be, Joel. Yeah, mate, it's obviously Manny Pacquiao. <laughs> it wasn't already obvious. Yeah. Like, without a shadow of a doubt, in Manny Pacquiao, you look at potentially the greatest fighter in history. If you look at some of the fighters Pacquiao fought and demolished during that period, De La Hoya, Hatton, Marquez, Cotto, Clotty, these are all fighters who either are or will be in the Hall of Fame. And yeah. he barely lost a round against any of them. So if we're going on their best form, which I think we have to do in a hypothetical matchup, I think we have to go with Pacquiao. I think anyone has to, as I'm yeah, not sure there yeah. is anyone in history who would have beaten him in that run. It was just so impressive. It's not a slight on Edwin Valero at all. Do you yeah. see what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, what do you think? I actually remember telling you after I watched the Mascaro fight that um, Manny Pacquiao would deal very easily with um, Edwin Valero. But and what about then the Pichalua fight? Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I thought after the Mascaro fight that if they fought that Pacquiao would probably knock Valero out. Yeah. However, I have changed my mind. I, having watched the later footage of Edwin Valero's fights and obviously plenty of the sparring footage as well which, mm. which is awesome I think this is a much closer fight if it had taken place I do think Manny Pacquiao wins but I think he probably wins on points I, I, there was something about Edwin Valero I just don't see him getting stopped I Boy. mean he, he was hit with some great shots in his career but and although particularly in the Mascara fight he, he did look hurt he did recover extremely quickly oh he showed an awesome chin I mean, and powers of recovery didn't re- he during yeah, through excellent powers of recovery mm. I think it would have been a classic an absolute classic I mean neither fight is going to hold back both of them have, would have been at their peak oh I, I completely agree with you there about it being a classic it undoubtedly would have been we've been robbed of a, yeah. a great fight in history they would have now. both had their moments it certainly wouldn't have been a, a, a sort of has Manny Pacquiao did during that one mm. just bludgeon everyone almost you know go run right through them yeah. I think they would have had their moments it would have been closer times yeah I do think sure. it would have been back and forth well if I'm going for a method of victory I would go for Pacquiao by referee stoppage because yeah. at that time he was just mowing through everyone and overwhelming them yeah. and I'll say that I'm, I agree about Valero's chin and powers yeah. of recovery and all that as you were saying so I would say that he probably wouldn't just get knocked spark out yeah. or sort of take a knee or anything like that yeah. but I do think he'll be stopped get you know stopped, the ref yeah. or his corner would have to step in there at some yeah, point yeah. to protect him it's interesting I mean it's obviously a dream matchup uh, like I say if I think if, if it had taken place it would have been one of the all time great fights both of them in their prime both mm. really aggressive super aggressive both throwing lightning fast combinations so the rounds are likely to be action packed Yeah, it um, might have been like the Hagler Hearns fight oh, you know? now you're talking mate <laughs> now you're talking are we getting a bit carried away here yeah exactly we tend to do that sometimes <laughs> don't we no, but also both of them came up trumps when reacting to adversity in their careers so neither of them would lose hope for a second probably yeah, yeah. Kind of got look at that for a factor yeah that's a factor as I said I think they both have their moments it wouldn't mm. surprise me if uh, both of them got knocked down at some point in that fight and then got up and you know reacted came through that's why uh, it's it almost certainly would have been a classic I would be extremely shocked if one of them more likely Pacquiao to be honest but if just ran straight through the other and it was very one-sided I just I just doubt that's going to happen so I don't know we sit here and I'm just sort of almost sort of it makes me 
I'm probably going to dream about this. It's sad, mate. It yeah, <laughs> we didn't get to see it. It's horrible. It's such a shame that we didn't ever get to see it. I know. But it's almost unfair to ask whether Valero would have beaten Manny Pacquiao, yeah, it to is. be honest. Yeah, yeah. After we're talking about possibly the greatest boxer in history, as I've said. Yeah. And he was at the peak of his powers. Yeah. Maybe what we should ask ourselves instead is how we think Valero would have fared against some of the other elite fighters that he could have taken on during this period instead. Yeah. So, Joe, who do you think would win out of Edwin Valero and these fighters I'm about to mention. Okay, okay first up, your man, yeah. Juan Manuel Marquez. Oh, Juan Manuel Marquez for me on points in a very close fight. Like I say, I was a massive Marquez fan. He's such a classy operator. Mm. And he gave Manny Pacquiao huge trouble in all their fights. And you're obviously advocating Pacquiao as possibly the you know the greatest fighter in history. So if you're talking about Manny Pacquiao as possibly the greatest boxer in history, I think you have to go with... Marquez. Yeah, I, I couldn't disagree with you on that yeah. one at all. I think it would be a close fight. Yeah. But I, I think it would have been a great fight as well. Yeah, definitely. If you look at how, you know, his fast styles were. Contrasting at, styles as yeah, well. Yeah, and you think of maybe Katsidis and what a good fight that was with was Emmanuel fight. Marquez. Imagine yeah. them replacing Katsidis with yeah. Edwin Valero. Yeah. Right, so uh, Nate Campbell. Oh, Edwin Valero wins that. Yeah, I agree. He yeah. wins all, all day, day long, long for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the next opponent, uh, who I think would be even more interesting than this, here okay. we go. My namesake, Joel Casamayor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joel. What a name. <laughs> Named for greatness. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Edwin winning this fight by late stoppage, but I think Casamayor gives him a lot of trouble especially in the early stages as he was a classy operator and really excellent boxer I just think Edwin is the sort of fighter who's just going to weigh you down and Casamayo will make him look average though but I think Edwin wins that yeah no, I agree a KO I'd say between around 10 and 12 probably yeah. so Casamayo for those who don't know he was an avoided fighter uh, yet when you look at his record he fought so many good fighters do you see yeah, what I mean exactly. like the absolute yeah. elite just would not fight him at certain points in his career yeah, yeah, and then he yeah. got the big fights a lot of them towards the end of his career uh, so anyway what about Aslan Nafrotes? Edwin Valero fairly comfortably and by mm. knockout. I mean, I've seen enough. I mean, Freitas was a massive puncher, but you know, I've yeah. seen enough of him to know he could be hit easily. Out of the two, I think uh, Valero's the bigger puncher. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Valero wins that and by knockout. I, th- I think sometimes with a bully, you got to bully the bully. Yeah, and I think this may have been a, a bit of a closer fight you really? know, than, okay. you're, than you're thinking here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I do think if I'm, you know, if I've got a sort of put nail my it. flag here, I'll put a bet on it. Put five grand on it. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, then I'd, I'd maybe, maybe just about go with Edwin Valero yeah, but I think maybe Freitas will get worn down but I think it's a really good fight that yeah and if you look at a lot of these hypothetical matchups and victories for Edwin Valero hypothetical victories I mean he's going down as a Hall of Fame fighter <laughs> as well yeah you if know. he just wins all these fights we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> All he has to do is go out there and do it. It's fine. He's yeah. in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's such a shame that the Manny Pacquiao from the fight never happened. It was almost certainly going to happen yes. as well. Yeah, so this is the thing. thing. Like, yeah. It was there. It's, it's rare in history where you can go, yeah, that fight between these two superstar boxers is going to happen. And it, it would have done. You look at Pacquiao's record. I he fought, fought absolutely everyone. everyone. Yeah. He wouldn't have ducked it. Villero would have wanted the fight because he would have wanted to fight a superstar. They had the same promoter in Bob Allen yeah. by this point. It's it's just sad and frustrating well, because it's one of the great fights that never yeah. was. I mean, know? Edwin Valero went to a few of the Manny Pacquiao fights, um, didn't he as well? He was in the, at ringside. I mean, right, that was okay. whole part of the... I'm sure he gave a few interviews about, you know, oh, Pacquiao's next. It would have happened. It would have happened.
Okay, one thing, Joel, that I want to touch on as part of this pod is uh, Edwin Valero's reputation in the gym, both when it came to training and sparring, because having seen the footage and obviously read the stories, I think it's fair to say he was a bit of a legend and a bit of a savage in the gym as well. Well, this is an important part of Edwin Valero's legend. Yeah. Uh, because when he came along, it was at a time when the YouTube boxing community was just starting. Right. And he had a lot of his spars filmed by Doug Fisher of Max Boxing who cl- followed his career very closely early doors. He was a big advocate for Edwin Valero, wasn't he? Big fan. A lot of the sort of rumblings of Edwin coming along into the US boxing scene came from... From Doug. Doug. Doug's coverage of him. Yeah. And as I say, it was a time when internet boxing was kind of booming. Okay. So his, his uh, sparring footage that he took of Ed- Edwin is quite incredible, actually. Yeah. If you've only seen Valero fight professionally, which will be the case for the vast majority of people, yeah. I absolutely urge you to go onto YouTube or Max Boxing and look at the archives there because he is an unreal fighter in the gym, mate. He is a gym fighter. Yeah. And absolutely. what really jumps out for me is his sense of distance and timing. He really reminds me, in fact, of another fighter who was around at the same time, Denis Lebedev. Oh, okay. Who, yeah. again, was this guy. I never saw any sparring footage of Lebedev, but it always struck me how good Lebedev was at judging the distance and getting his shots off. He was always in a position to throw a punch yeah. and then not be there to receive the reply, you know. And, and Valero had... But he did that... Uh, Lebedev would could do that in a professional ring. Yeah. Whereas Valero, he only really showed this in his in the sparring footage. We'll talk, he showed it a couple of times in yeah. the in, yeah. in the professional career, but mostly this was his sparring form. No, I, I agree with you. It's interesting you say that because I I thought bar a couple of fights that he looked much better in sparring than he did in his professional contest. In fact, to the extent that when we were researching him, I just found myself dr- really drawn to the YouTube videos of him sparring more than his actual professional contest. Yeah, it's a treat, isn't it? How how rare is that? More, you know, mouth sort of agape, like, oh my God, imagine having to spar that. Yeah. And in the professional contests, in quite a few of them, I was a little bit like, eh, you know, he's flawed. Yeah. But yeah, um, absolutely. an awesome awesome gym fighter. Another great gym fighter from, again, that period um, would be James Tony. That, That version of Tony in the sort of early... 2000s going up to sort of about, I don't know, maybe 2010, something like that, maybe a bit earlier than that, actually, before 2010, maybe through to about 2007, 2008, where you've got these barring footage of James Tony at the wildcard gym yeah, when yeah, he was training yeah, out yeah. there. Yeah. Some of that stuff is incredible to watch. Now, Tony again replicated it in the professional ring. Yeah. But some of the sparring Wasn't stuff. Wasn't that the Danny only way Green he trained? Like he that. just sparred, basically. Yeah, especially probably. towards the end of his career. Yeah, I think yeah. he just, yeah, he, he went up and away. He was a big guy in the end. We was always pretty ill-disciplined, wasn't he, Tony? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I imagine you're right. I imagine you're right. Yeah. So, What yeah. were the two fights? Uh, it was the, was it Pichalua fight, wasn't it? And the DeMarco fight where he essentially replicated the, his sparring form. Yeah, that's for me. They're the two fights. So, Pichalua, which was just a couple of rounds, wasn't it? And he, he did him in a couple of rounds before he looked superb. That he yes, really did yes, replicate you're at, the yeah, sparring yeah, form yeah. there. And yeah, the last two rounds of that DeMarco fight yeah. where he, he, he moved on to a different level at the end of that fight. Yeah. But at the same time, he had a wounded, he had wounded prey there. Yeah. Yeah, he beat the bejesus out of his sparring partners, wouldn't you say, Joel? You're such an Irishman, <laughs> fake Irishman over there. Nothing wrong with being a fake Irishman. Most no, you people be, are. You want to be a real especially Irishman, especially on St Patrick's Day. I'm a real Irishman. <laughs> you've got an Irish passport, haven't you, Joel? Yeah, I've got an Irish. passport. I can't passport. believe that you've got an Irish passport. You're like the least Irish person I know. What are you talking about? Mate? You talking <laughs> I know a lot of Irish people. I can talk the hind legs off a donkey like an Irishman can. <laughs> 
What was that story you mentioned to me about the oh, what, in America? Ricky Hatton? Oh, so when I went, the fight, yeah, when saw. I went over to uh, the US for Hatton Mayweather, yeah. I, it was the only time I'd been to America, and I thought, oh, I'll take my Irish passport along because I love it over there. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'll get special treatment. And I've heard that. these stories as well. Yeah, but then I turn up Dallas Airport for my connection to Vegas, and I go there, and so go through, you know, from the nice security, wherever it is, and I look at my passport and go, oh, where do you live? Like London. <laughs> Oh, so when did you move to London? Oh, I've always lived in London. Yeah. So w- why have you got an Irish passport? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I just do. So what, well, is your parents Irish? No. no. <laughs> so, your gra- so what is it? I was like, well, uh, your grandparents Irish? So yeah, my grandmother was Irish. Yeah. Oh, right. So when did she move to England? It's like, well, I don't know, the, the 30s or something. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Well, why have you got an Irish passport? You know, just went, it's just mad. They're just really questioning me on it. Yeah. Like I was a problem. And then I just got one of them. You are a problem. (laughs) Not these days, mate. Try not to be. So no, and then I just got a sticker on my bag, which uh, was obviously translated from the colour. I don't know what it was. Some sort of coloured sticker, which obviously translated to harass this man at every security stop along the way. Yeah, keep an eye on him. He's dodgy. Yeah. So it's right. I'm never doing that again. So Uh, anyway. You gained the system there, mate. Well done. No, thank you very much. (laughs) It didn't pay off then, but it has since. It has since. They like it Greece. Yeah. When I going through Greece, I remember he just looked at my passport, looked at me and just said, hmm, it's been a tough few years, hasn't it, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Is this true? Yeah, yeah. He's no. like, me off. And what can you oh say to passport God. control? Yeah, you, you just can't, can't argue. You can't them. argue. You just can't. I just, I just, I think I just smiled and said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have booked the return flight on, on the spot, mate. <laughs> just said it's not worth it. It's all right. I'll just slag off Greece in the pod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, on a more serious note, let's right. talk about some of the gym let's tales. Go. Where, yeah, where so, did we get to it? I mean, we've just been chatting rubbish for the last... Sorry, this, is, <laughs> no, sorry, this isn't what you tuned in for, is it? So it's rumoured that Juan Lascano, who had beaten fighters such as Ben Tacky and Stevie Johnston, and had gone 12 rounds with a peak Ricky Hatton and a peak Jose Luis Castillo, bear in mind. And also in that Hatton fight, I think he... Didn't he wobble him? Yeah, he really, he really wobbled Ricky Hatton in that fight. I think that was about the ninth round. That was Hatton's first fight after the Mayweather fight. Yes. And that was a big stadium fight at the city of Manchester Stadium. First stadium fight in Britain for years and years. That was the same card that Paulie Malinacci had to have his cornrows cut out. Oh god, yeah, right, that one—that was embarrassing. Yeah, it was like hard. So anyway, that one. Anyway, so he was—he was, was a serious fighter, Lascano. Yeah, apparently after sparring Edwin Valero, one Lascano just left the gym, and I mean literally left, leaving his boxing gloves and gear behind. <laughs> it's a bit dramatic, said, isn't it? I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> Also, when uh, Manny Pacquiao fought one Manuel Marquez in their third fight in March 2008, this was when the Valero-Pacquiao fight was being looked at as a potential mega fight at the time. Kenny Adams, who was Edwin Valero's trainer, pointed out how sparring partners who were basically padded up with headgear and 16-ounce gloves, so fairly well protected, <laughs> mm. still dropped before Valero because he was, like I say, he was an absolute savage. He just did not take it easy on you in sparring at all. And apparently, according to... Kenny Adams, at one point in his career, in a six-month period, 10 sparring partners just had decided there was a better way to make a living. Just the 10, eh? Just the 10, just I know. Ten. Rubbish, really. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan Coyne, who was a cruiserweight from the States at the time, and he was often found at a training camp uh, with Edwin Valero, he said the following. So this is a quote from him. He'd make them cry. I'm not exaggerating. Grown men professional fighters would cry Edwin Valero wasn't being an asshole. 
He just figured they were getting paid so he would get his money's worth. He wasn't wired to take it easy on people. He was a fucking savage. Made them cry, didn't he? I know, it? it's absolutely bonkers. I, lo- I love reading this stuff. It's just it's amazing. Just not, it's pure gossip. It's otherworldly. It's always fantasy it? stuff, but it it's is, brilliant. It is, it is. Um, I've got another story from the gym, which if true, again, really resonates with me. Again, we are not nailing our master any of these stories no we're just repeating what is out there okay yeah yeah so apparently when oscar de la hoya announced he was returning to take on manny pacquiao he hired edwin valero as a sparring partner oh what a great idea great idea that's gonna do your confidence the world of good absolutely it's like yeah let's train for manny pacquiao and let's just boost the confidence by getting battered for a few rounds yeah well that's what happened he he had his way with Oscar and then he was sent home after two days yeah I mean that's uh, I'm, I'm surprised it lasted two days to be fair because they were at different trajectories in their career and when you were at the age that Oscar was there and I actually in fact just before I say this I want to make something really clear Oscar De La Hoya never ran from any fight in his career he is a hero if you're a proper hardcore boxing fan yeah. he fought his career and fought opponents as you would wish Every fight did. If every fighter had the attitude that Oscar did in his career, the sport would be a hell of a lot richer and better for it. And this yeah. is a rich, brilliant sport as it is. Okay, yeah. you see what I'm saying here. This is this guy had the mentality to end all mentalities in He's boxing. A Absolute warrior. You cannot fault Oscar De La Hoya for his career in any moment. However, by this stage of Oscar's career, yeah. you don't go in and start sparring young guys like Edwin Valero, savages like this. You need to be training smart, not hard. Yeah, Do you exactly. Know what I mean, it's, it's the wrong stage in your career to be doing this sort of thing. Totally agree with you. And Kenny Adams said that Oscar De La Hoya's team basically wanted no part of Edwin Valero. Yeah. So apparently, Oscar's brother told Kenny, "Get this monster out of here." Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. <laughs> There's also a rumor that Edwin gave Oscar De La Hoya a black eye. We got another rumor. Another, another rumor. gossip page. Yeah, yeah. yeah wicked. We, we should, should get a col- We should get a column in the Sun, innit? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Oscar De La Hoya allegedly said no it wasn't Edwin Valero it was someone else and again allegedly Edwin was really annoyed saw it as a sign of disrespect and he vowed never to fight with Golden Boy promotions again following that again it's all hearsay conjecture and you know there's so much of it though that I think some of these tales must be true. I'm sure, all of sure them, some of it is. Or of some of them are blown up. Yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, you get tales in sport and boxing, you know. And, you yeah. Know, but it's, I'm sure there's a, there's a grain of truth to most yeah. of this, if not all of it. No. And he was really eccentric as well, Edwin Valero. He used to interrupt training, can you believe it, to take telephone calls from the president of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez. Yes. He used to interrupt training to take telephone calls from me every now and again as well. Oh, yeah, did he, Joe? Yeah. Was that your dream, was it? That was <laughs> yeah. one of them dreams. So I'm having. really important to Yeah, not, not just the president <laughs> of, his, of his homeland, but from Joe Caulfield of Chilford. Yeah. And he had the tattoo of Chavez on his chest as well. He did. That was a big old tattoo, wasn't it? It was like yeah. one of them Mike Tyson Yeah, it was ones, very, you know I mean? very prominent and visible when you watch his fights as well. So um, okay. on the subject of Edwin's eccentricity I also read that he would go days without bathing for fear that his body might retain bath water and make it harder for him to make weight okay so I think this one's probably true actually yeah um, I've heard stories of fighters who in their battle to make weight on the eve of the fight will be in a sauna for example and have one of their mates with them with like a credit card or something 
Wow. And it, in fact, I say it's rumoured, but I've heard stories. No, this is something I've seen on YouTube. There's a video up there with Chris Cyborg, oh, the, okay. the MMA fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think she's having a sauna or something like that anyway. And she, I think, is in tears, actually, if memory right. This is a distant memory here. Yeah. But she's in tears, struggling to make the weight so bad. And one of her trainers is just, like, robbing her with a credit card. Trying to get rid of the external water in her body as though that's going to help. Look, we're waterproof. <laughs> right, that's an important thing about our species. In fact, most species. Yeah. All, all species, no? Yeah, it's all animals, absolutely. not waterproof, for yeah, God's sake. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's going to help. Anyway. You've got a career in science awaits you, Joe. On the subject of his uh, legend in the gym and the way he trained, he was such a good trainer that despite the fact that he would often be out on the t- essentially on the town, hitting the drink and drugs quite hard, he would still be able to train harder and better than anyone else in the gym. Here's a really interesting Ryan Coyne quote, and it goes like this. He, Edwin Valero, was just a hard runner. Even if he'd been drinking all night, he'd just run everybody's dicks into the ground. <laughs> like, that's not literally, but you know, you, you get someone's the gist. dick into the ground? <laughs> <laughs> Where does that come from? I know, that's it's awesome. Mad. And, and, and when he asked Edwin Valero how he ran like that, this is really interesting actually because this shows you the mentality of Edwin Valero. This is a this is a street mentality coming up, right? Mm. So Ryan Coyne asked him how he trained like that, and apparent this is apparently what Edwin Valero said: When you run, you have to run like the police are chasing you, and if they get you, you will never get out of jail and you will never breathe fresh air again. It's so visceral. Yeah, so that, that that's uh, such an incisive comment there. That's brilliant. That, I think that really sums up things yeah. with Edwin in a way. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier yeah. when we were saying that sometimes hardship in early life can really fuel you in your adult life for boxers and athletes in general yeah. to really succeed and give you the drive to persevere and to, you know, achieve. Yeah, yeah. And I think that this is the thing. He's used his experience from childhood to then use it constructively as an adult yeah. to really push himself and become elite in his chosen sport. So, Joel, you've got another quote from Ryan Coyne about Edwin Valero and, you know, the way he trained. Yeah, it's a cracking coffee-related quote, this one. Edwin yeah. Valero was a fighter who gave zero fucks about what he put in his body. Yeah, he could always outperform everyone in the gym. He was a world champion drinker. You could <laughs> smell it on him when he sparred and he never drank water. He would run. How could you not drink water? water. <laughs> Sorry, he would run four miles, and he would have four scalding hot black coffees. Why would you want to do that? I know. I thought. Sorry, now I'm back to uh, Ryan Coyne. I thought there was something unreal about Edwin Valero. The way he would drink all night and then come in and train. It was as he as if he was possessed by the devil. No, yeah. I think that last sentence kind that, of that's actually a really. It almost sums up uh, how his his persona and the way his life ended as well. Mm. There was something really dark about Edwin Valero. I mean, well, truly well, like the way dark. he killed his I mean, yeah, wife himself. Yeah. Horrific. But yeah, it was like he was possessed. It was like he, he, was. he, he was an otherworldly sort of character. Mm. Something just wasn't quite right about him. I got the impression doing the research that Edwin Valero was someone who he didn't really feel pain in a way and and he could push himself beyond like reasonable limits. I mean, who who goes out on the drink and drugs and then outperforms everyone in in a boxing gym? Mm. This isn't just like a casual mates going for a run. This is a boxing gym with professional fighters, or, yeah. you know, up and comers. It's almost as if the motorcycle accident, I think, especially that may have in some way dulled his ability to sort of feel pain or maybe even emotion. 
I think you're probably... I kind of got that impression. Yeah, I think, I think you're probably 100% right there, mate. And I think there's more and more evidence that severe head trauma can affect risky behaviour. Yeah. There's a lot of work that Tris Dixon's done on yes, this, isn't there? Yes, I was going to mention that, uh, actually, yeah. I mean, it's... Anyway, it seems clear that there's a real big difference between pre-Edwin Valero accident yeah. and post-Edwin, post-accident Edwin Valero. Absolutely. Yeah. I mentioned this earlier, Joel, but Edwin Valero had a very strong relationship with Hugo Chavez. He was a Chavista, as they say. But I think something that gets lost in in maybe this, the discussion about Edwin Valero was that I think he essentially got preferential treatment because of his relationship with Hugo Chavez. As he did in his childhood because of his athletic achievements. Exactly. He, he didn't seem to get the repercussions that he needed to no. get to teach him a lesson. But anyway. Totally, totally spot on. And I think he had a turbulent disposition and got in trouble with the law because he was able to get away with it. Yeah. He never had that. These are the repercussions. And and what's really interesting as well is that there's a there's a quote from Valero's manager at the time which really does touch on this. So he said this was after his death, um, we all looked away not to admit was what was going on. And that was his manager, Jose Castillo. And he also said and, and this is another thing, that authorities at the time were also very permissive with Edwin and because of that we're now in the middle of this tragedy yeah I mean look Edwin's got to take personal responsibility you know of course we can't go just blaming authorities and all of that for what happened absolutely however it doesn't you know it doesn't help we've seen it again we're just on this pod we're going to link things to boxing of course and I think you can really look at some things that happened with Mike Tyson when he joined up with Costamato yeah where if you hear Teddy Atlas and some others talk about that time period in Mike's life, yeah. he was getting away with murders, yeah. which other fighters and kids and teenagers and even the adults around the gym were not allowed to get away with by cost. Yeah. And did this feed into his sort of monstrous period as he grew older and some of the despicable things that yeah. Mike did? Absolutely. So we've touched on the fact that very tragically, Edwin Valero killed his wife, Jennifer, and then committed suicide. But in the lead up, to to that that the signs were there you know he was a domestic abuser and his wife suffered terribly we've got to acknowledge that you can see it I mean sometimes I've got to say you just look at her at ringside and she looked like a terrified domestic abuse victim yeah that that was her look yeah it was really really sad sad. she's a beautiful pretty young woman yeah who looked sad and scared yeah, and that is more than a partner does We, we take into account that partners do look scared of ringside yeah you know but she would look at after Edwin's won a fight sometimes yeah yeah you know they'd zoom into her and she's not looking you yeah. know like a happy young woman but anyway yeah so there I mean there are some examples I'll just bring up a few which illustrate how he was able to get away with you know lenient treatment despite his behaviour so in 2009 and this is crazy in circumstances that were never actually really clarified by authorities Jennifer was treated at hospital for a gunshot wound to her left leg I mean Jesus. The signs of domestic violence were so blatantly obvious yeah. at that point. And uh, do you know what she, what the exp- explanation was? Did so, give one? Yeah, there was. So officials said at the time that she was thought to have been shot outside her house by an unknown attacker on a motor vehicle. I think she actually backed that Yeah, up. he had a that wild look under, in his eyes. Under, obviously under duress, there's no question. Yeah, yeah. 
He was also charged in March 2010 with harassing his wife and threatening medical personnel who treated her at the hospital. I mean, what I find really interesting is that whether it's someone who's a domestic abuser or, or just a violent person, when they're clearly not afraid to be that way, not just to the 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 vic, you know the the person that they're abusing, the, you know the victim, but to other people who, yeah. who you know through circumstance happen to be involved yeah. or around. And, but many people who should be in that situation, a figure of authority, yeah. and they're using the same sort of arrogance. Like, and, totally, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so what happened? The police arrested Edwin Valero following an argument with a doctor and nurse at the hospital. Again, listen to this: where his wife was treated for injuries that included a punctured lung Jeez. and broken ribs. Good. I mean, it's horrific, absolutely horrific. Mm. So, the Attorney General's office said, I believe, in a statement around the time that Valero was detained on 25th of March on suspicion of assaulting his wife, obviously. His wife told the police officer the injuries were due to a fall. And there's a pattern of her as well covering for him, which again is a, you know, again, a sign are, of domestic violence. Yeah, these are all very typical signs of domestic violence. Exactly. Um, and Edwin's lawyer, a person called Milda Mora, said after the incident that the, he was held for nine days in a psychiatric hospital in, in Merida where he went some sort of police supervised rehabilitation if you can call it that but people close to him then posted bail for him on april the 7th so this is probably around two weeks after the incident and then he was basically just allowed to walk free with no indication of any support in place for i mean for his very obvious mental health issues but also support for for her as well as wife and the family yeah and this is a really interesting quote from bob arum you know, we've, I jokingly call him the Bob Father all the time, but this is a really serious discussion, so there's no jokes now. So th- this is from Bob Arum at the time, and he said, the court put Edwin in rehab for six months, right? So that he was meant to be in there for six months, and, and somehow he got out in a weekend. I actually think it was a little bit longer, but that's what Bob Arum said at the time. So that was Edwin Valera's promoter. Edwin Valera's promoter clearly knew there was a massive issue with this guy. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, because if you just look at the logic of this, if you're saying that somebody needs a six-month stint in rehab for their mental health problems, yeah. how is this solved by bail money being... Yeah offered you know being provided this doesn't make any sense yeah his story is just completely tragic it's, mm. just, it's crazy uh, bob continues in in this quote i never talked to him during this period i only talked to his manager they were trying to get him to come to mexico to start training and cleaning himself up it's and this is the really interesting part of the quote it's obvious now in retrospect that he edwin valero should have been institutionalized during this period but it's silly to play the blame game. I mean, after the fact, it is. It's done now. He's got a point. You know, he but at the same that. time, yeah. you need to learn from the mistakes. You need to analyse the things and learn from the mistakes. Yeah. But the March 2010 incident that you mentioned before, that was when Edwin Valero went on the run from the police, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So I think he was found after five days or so, yeah? Right. And he might even have turned himself on, I think, on this. Okay. He was found, Joe, with 50 grams of cocaine. I mean, that's shot that. Look, professional athlete as well yeah because the thing is that there's no suggesting that he was dealing drugs right that is an astonishing amount for personal usage yeah you know this is dealers quantities yeah right so he was taken for a drug and alcohol test and was found to have alcohol and cocaine in his body right at the time 
He also admitted that he had crack, ecstasy, and heroin in his system. I'm not. I'm really surprised he actually hadn't dropped dead. To be honest with you, because I mean, well, the abuse incredible. that you're doing to your body. I mean, it's yeah. Well, it just shows the constitution he has. Again, his his body was sort of built for hardship, wasn't it? Of and I guess it was. Yeah. But you know, it wouldn't have. He wouldn't have lasted long. Yeah. You know, and as Bob Arrow mentioned after his death, Valero was given six months stint in rehab. But he only spent three days there, as you were mentioning. Yeah. Um, again, there's a recurring theme of Edwin getting away with this sort of behaviour. Yeah. He also apparently confided in Hugo Chavez himself that he dreamt of his own death. Yeah. I mean, it's a really tragic life, and I think we do need to touch on it properly. I, I think yeah. it's only fair that we talk about it, and we have said that we're not going to shy away from these sort of things. No, no. Uh, this guy had troubles, and it's unfair on him, his wife, and his family if we don't mention this I, you know, I, t- I don't yeah. really talk about it properly no we have to we, we, we really do have to touch on it I totally agree with you there Joel I, I know we're looking back on his career as a, as a boxer primarily and, and there's a theme throughout this pod when we'd set this up you know we, it, we wanted to present boxing in a positive way it was a celebration of these people and, and we do celebrate his career but we're not celebrating person no. I think it's we really have to acknowledge the harm he caused his family especially his wife you know amazingly actually Edwin died on Venezuelan Independence Day uh, that was just Remarkable, random in fact yeah. uh, um, Jorge Linares who's, a, who's an active boxer also from Venezuela he's Wonderful got excellent fighter. pedigree fantastic oh, what a you know. boxer to watch yeah. yeah he said the following after Edwin Valero's death it's a hard blow for the sport for those of us who appreciated him What's important is that we learn a lesson. We admired him as an athlete. And this touches on what I said. As a pod, we admire him as, a, as an athlete. But we never did anything to help him with his problems. We could have started by making his problems public and not hiding anything. Yeah, I, I think this quote hits the nail on the head a little bit. Yeah. yeah he was a brilliant talent whose problems yeah. should have been blindingly obvious to the wider public and to the people around him. Yeah. But he was well protected from the people around him and from the authorities yeah. primarily so he could become a prize fighting commodity yeah. and instead of being treated for the mental health and drink and drug addictions that would ultimately lead to his downfall he was treated as this commodity that was going to lead to success for his country absolutely but absolutely. in any case look Joe we're here to celebrate his life as a boxer as he said and everyone should get stuck in there as there's a treasure trove of stuff on Edwin Valero on the internet and it's his stuff that we can look at and celebrate as his life as a boxer okay yeah. um, we mentioned the other stuff but I want to end this uh, pod on a positive uh, note or on a, as nice a note as we can um, Edwin Valero's wife Jennifer had a younger brother called Yoel and he became an accomplished amateur boxer winning a bronze medal at the 2016 Olympic and notably Yoel said that he has forgiven Edwin I thought that was quite touching somewhat surprising but also quite touching to read what a strong man I know to read that he had forgiven Edwin Valero and that the boxing link and the connection to that family with boxing obviously still exists so on that note we shall finish this episode we really hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to seeing you for next week's episode take care